open, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to have Chris put that up in a second. Don't want to put it up yet. Take it back off. Take it back off. Take it back off. There we go. All right. Someone saw it. Maybe that's all right. I'll put it up there in a second. Usually I have them do it right away, but I'm changing it up. Uh, I, I want to preach on something tonight that I believe is so important. And it's a Wednesday night message. It's a Wednesday night service. And I want us to really uh, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us on this. And I, I really, it's not that it's any more important tonight than any other day or anything like that. But I just see this is something we've got to deal with in the world and in the church. And um, well, I want to read something in a moment. But if you're taking notes, now you can go ahead and put it up there. It's the different title than what that says there. Okay, that says run from sexual sin. Okay, run from sexual sin. But I want you to write this down in your notes if you're taking notes. The seriousness of sexual sin. The seriousness of sexual sin. Now, I am not, I'm already prepared to not get a whole lot of amens tonight, so I'm all right with that. I'm not preaching a message to get your amens. This is a message that is so vital, and I want you to know that no matter how old you are, whether you're single or married, no matter what what your background is, if you've been saved for a while, been saved a long time, this message is for every single person here because there is nobody that is exempt from this. Amen? Nobody. And we need to understand uh, tonight that this is something that is attacking. We understand in the world that this is something that happens. But th- to me, the sad thing today, and I promise this is not anything with our church here or anybody or anything, but in the church world, you know, when I say that, I mean, what I mean by that, that it's so prominent today that sexual sin is so rampant in the church, and that should not be. Can you say amen? These are things that should not be done or thought of in believers. Now, I want to show you how serious this is by giving you an example of a story of 1986. Pay attention to this story, and this will be a good lead-in. In April 26 of 1986, a horrible explosion happened at the nuclear power station in northern Ukraine. A radioactive fire ensued and burned for 10 days expelling, listen, 190 tons of toxic materials into the atmosphere. The explosion released, listen to this, 100 times the amount of radiation that came out of Hiroshima and Nagasaki combined, 100 times. So there's the explosion, there's the horrible thing that happens, all these things into the air, okay? Over 7 million people were exposed to this deadly radioactive material, which the course of time has revealed a staggering array of health concerns. The list of health concerns that happened from that explosion include thyroid cancer, leukemia, nervous system disorders, bone and muscle disorders, diabetes, birth defects, genetic mutations, cardiac abnormalities, and a variety of other forms of cancer. Also, a large percentage of the environment in which Chernobyl residents continue to live is still contaminated, air, ground, water, soil, and food over 20 years later. Y'all still with me? What in the world does this have to do with what I'm talking about? Pay attention. A common misconception of that would be 
that when this happened, although 20 years later it's still affecting the food and all that, when it happened, only 130 people actually died from that explosion at the moment. But since then, over 25,000 people who were firefighters and involved in cleanup operations have died since that disaster. 25,000 of diseases such as cancer, leukemia, and cardiovascular disease. In the case of the millions of others who are still exposed to lower doses of radiations, the ramifications will continue for decades. Why did I read that story? Because that seriousness of that explosion and what it has caused for continually 20 years on that area and and continues to expand is how serious sexual sin is if we don't take care of it. It continues and continues and continues to destroy. And it is so important tonight that we understand that word, the seriousness of sexual sin. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to anoint your word tonight. I ask you to anoint our ears. I know in this place tonight, Father, we're believers. I know in this place tonight we love you, but we have to understand, God, that the spirit of the enemy that is working in our lives and through media and through situations, and Lord, we need to learn tonight how to deal with these situations and how to run from sexual immorality and run from the things that try to grab us and get a hold of us to ruin our lives tonight. Father, I ask that you'd anoint everything that I say and every verse that I read from your word. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said? I want to start off in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. I want you to understand tonight as we begin to read this why it's so serious. All sin is serious. But you're going to see in the Bible tonight as I read these scriptures that the Bible actually says that this sin of sexual sin is the worst one that you can commit, and you'll see why. It is is at another level of sin because of what we're going to see here. Let's pick up in verse 15. And actually, right before I read that, I want to to say this. I didn't have this in my notes, but I want to just make this clear if this is uh, going to be heard online. I, I talked a little bit about this at at camp with the kids. And and we need to understand that anything twisted or perverted off of the truth and the origin of something is what causes it to be wrong. God has always been very clear since Genesis 1 how he intended our bodies to be used and what sexual things were for. And it was always and never will change be the act of intimacy between a man and a woman inside of a covenant of marriage. That, I don't care what the, what the laws say. They can come arrest me and put me in jail, although I would not enjoy that. I am going to tell what the Bible says, and the Bible says, no matter what politically correct says, a marriage is between a man and a woman, period, because that's what God's Word says. And and outside of that covenant of marriage, listen closely, anything, say anything, say everything, outside of that covenant is sin. Anything and everything. Well, I don't know if this is sin. Is this wrong? Is anything outside of the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman is sexual sin. 
Okay, so I wanted to make that clear. It doesn't matter. Every answer that this society and world has on all these things, going into transgender, going into homosexuality, going into adultery, fornication, all the names the Bible uses, lust, all the names that could be in there. Listen, bestiality is in the Bible, by the way, if you didn't know that. It's not a made-up word. It's happened all the way since the beginning. Um, incest, uh, rape, anything. I'm just trying to make it clear. Anything outside of a man and a woman in a covenant of marriage is sexual sin. So it's important to understand that and have that definition before we start this. And I want to give you something for future reference to just remember. Write this down, Matthew 19. We're not going to go there tonight, but this is so important because this is what's being attacked against the church today. This is, this, this is a, a, an area where I'm telling you we've got to have our ducks in a row and understand what God says about his word. And so getting into this, outside of that covenant between a man and a woman, which there's so many things today, so many things that are, that, are, that, are, that are happening, people try to say, well, what about this and what about that? And, and Jesus made it very clear in Matthew 19 because what I was telling someone the other day is, what people try to do is, is say, well, Jesus didn't say this. Jesus didn't say anything about that, and Jesus didn't make a point on this. And how many know, first and foremost, that Jesus wrote the whole Bible? Beginning with that, he wrote the whole thing. He didn't just write the Gospels. He didn't just, when we say red letter, doesn't mean that's all he said. He wrote the whole thing. But red letter was what came out of his physical mouth when he was on the earth. So he wrote it all, but he says in Matthew 19, when they asked him about divorce, they said, is it wrong to get a divorce? And they were trying to, to get him to say, you know, to, to, to answer something. He could have just said, yes, it's wrong to get a divorce. No, it's wrong to get a divorce. It's not wrong to get a divorce. He could have just answered that. But he said in Matthew 19, it is written. It is written. And he goes all the way back to Genesis 2 and quotes his own words. It says, a man and a woman, sorry, a man shall leave. His father and mother. A man shall leave his father, male, and mother, female, and cleave to his wife, female. And the two, the two, that's just two, not one, not three, not two, two people shall become one flesh. Thank you for that amen. I wasn't expecting any tonight. Amen. One flesh, okay? So we're clear, right? I know we we, we know this, we know all this. Do we? Do we really know it? Do we really believe it? Because we need to understand what God's word says. Because this is under attack. God's word is under attack. And so, so he gives that definition when he could have just said yes or no. He said, I know that down the road in 2000s, they're going to be talking about this. People are going to be quoting me and saying. So he said, let me make clear what marriage is. It's between a man and a woman. Man should leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. They should become one flesh. Now, that part, one flesh, is what's so important about why sexual sin is so serious. Because regardless of what we have made mistakes on as people and regardless of what we've gotten into and regardless of the doors that we've opened up and regardless of all those things, God's intention always from day one was that a man and a woman would have one partner in life and never anybody else. 
I know that's foreign today, and I thank God there's still people who are believers who are still doing that. And I just went to a wedding last week, and I was very thankful that they did that and that that girl went to the altar as a virgin at 20-something years old. It's still happening. Maybe it's old-fashioned, but it's still happening. People are still believing God and his word and doing it right. That That was a good place to say amen right there. So how many got the definition down? Now, let's read 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Now, watch what he says here. Shall then I take the members, that's your body, your physical body, of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not, exclamation point. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. You know when you begin to read 16, and and most of us are older in here, and if we have younger kids, you need to hear this anyways, because I'd rather you hear it from me than your school. When, when, you, when he says you've joined to a harlot is one body with her, and he's talking about prostitution and someone who sleeps with more than one person, what he's saying there is when you do that, you are joining bodies with other people. Some people call it soul ties. And you're tying in to that life of somebody else, and, and you become entwined in a spider web of things that God, listen, never intended. Never intended. All the stuff that we see today in this world that is outside of the, of the covenant of marriage is of the devil. Is it fun? Yes, it's fun. It can be fun. Sin is fun, the Bible says, for a season. But this is an area where God says, listen, I, I need you to take everything serious, but I really need you to get this serious Because this is something, watch what it says as we continue to read. He says, verse 18, what this says, flee sexual immorality. That's a serious word. Run. Turn the other direction. It doesn't say walk away from it. It doesn't say hang around it. It says run from it. Literally run from it. You know what that picture is to me? That picture is to me is seeing the explosion I just read and running away from it. Some people, maybe, maybe in their ignorance, maybe in their lust, whatever, run to it. Can you imagine somebody running outside of a firefighter? Can you imagine somebody running into the fire and the explosion? Oh, let me be a part of that. And God says, flee it, flee it. And I'm going to get to why in a few minutes here. So he says, watch this. This is the, if you don't get anything else out of this message, get this. He says, every sin, verse 18, that a man does, and that's women too, is outside the body. Now watch this. But he who commits sexual immorality sins, watch this, against his own body. Sins against his own body. So sexual sin is at another level because it's not something that I do uh, just, just, just that hurts God. It's something that is against my body. It's something that was not intended for that. And so he says, watch this, 19, or do you not know that your body 
is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Listen, there's no separation between your body and your spirit. You and I are not our own. Watch what 20 says. For you have been bought with a price. I could go in, I could go in that direction. I don't have time for that tonight. But you don't own your body. I don't own my body. This body is no longer mine. If I'm of Jesus Christ, this is not my body. So what am I doing when I do something that's sexual against my body? I am, I am sinning against something that I do not own. I'm breaking God's law because this is no longer mine. It's his. And he says if you want to have anything sexual, it has to be inside of what I say is okay. Anything outside of that is serious. Then he says, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So our body and our spirit are God's. I want you to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you would. And I want to throw this in in case I run out of time, because I can already feel I'm going to. And I might take just a little bit longer than normal tonight, but I really want you to get this. I really want to hit this home. I won't take much longer, I promise. But I, I want us to really understand how, how important this is because this is, this is something we have to have a different viewpoint on. And, and many of us in here might, might not even uh, be dealing with this. Many might have not dealt with it yet, but I'm telling you, at some point in your life, you're going to deal with this. And, and hopefully you don't open doors too early in your life so you deal with it before you need to. But something important to be said here and, and, and something that's kind of driven me to talk about this tonight, not any, again, nothing in our church that I know of, but some things that have gone on with people I know in my life. I began to think about this, and I got a, a call from my, from my brother. This is a different situation. I got a call from my brother-in-law. Uh, and he was sharing a situation in his church over there in Costa Rica, and he was mentioning to me about something that was going on, and he said, how do I handle this? How do I deal with this? And he told me what was going on, and, and, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I'm going to throw this in right here, why this is so important, because the Bible, we don't take, and, and I'm guilty of this myself, and it's, it's, it's dangerous because we can be, if we're not careful, we can go, the wrong direction either way, but we definitely don't take sin serious enough today. And, 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 and as a society, we have dropped the ball on what the Bible calls holiness. Dropped it. Because it's not popular to preach against sin. It, it, and, and a lot of people don't preach against sin because they're afraid people will leave the church. They're afraid that they won't tithe or they won't support the church and, and I don't say this to boast, let the church be shut down because there's not enough money, but I'm going to answer to God someday for what I'm preaching, and I've got to preach the gospel, I've got to preach the truth, and I've got to preach what God wants us to preach. And I do believe at the same time there's a generation out there that wants the truth. They're tired of hearing fables and lies and getting cotton candy for preaching because you can only eat so much cotton candy and then you get sick to your stomach. We need the truth. We need the word of God. We need the meat of the, of the word of God. And, and, and I'm going to get to this in a second, but in case I don't, I'm just throwing this out there. Don't go there for time yet. But 1 Corinthians 5 mentions 
that when a brother or a sister commits sexual sin, that we should not even eat with them. Not even eat with them. Now, I can't spend too much time on this because it would be a whole other message, but I want you to understand there's a humongous difference, and I know some of you want to go read that right now. There's a humongous difference between how the church, carefully listen to me, how the church handles sin of somebody who walks through the door and has never been to church before. Somebody who walks through the door is living in fornication. And just to define that, that's, that's sin, that's sex outside of marriage, period. Or they're living in adultery. That's sex married to somebody with somebody else, marriage, having sex with somebody outside of your marriage, adultery. Or somebody who walks through that door living a homosexual lifestyle. Or somebody that walks through the door and has a problem with pornography. There is a totally different way the Bible says that we're supposed to treat them that does not know. Of course we're supposed to love them. We're supposed to welcome them in. We're supposed to say, come in as you are and love them as they are and not try to change them at that moment because that's not our job. They come in. They don't know the truth. They don't know what's right and wrong. They need to be exposed to the gospel, although in the heart of hearts they know, but you get what I'm saying. There's a humongous difference between that and somebody who's in the church, who's heard the gospel, knows the gospel, has heard these verses we're preaching over and over again, and continues to practice these sins. Continues to do it. I know it's wrong, but I can't help myself. Or continues to to live in a life of fornication. Continues to commit adultery. Continues to say, this is just how I am. This is how God made me. This is how I'm going to be. And that person that knows the truth, the Bible says with that person that knows the truth, don't even eat with them. Pretty serious. Pretty serious. So I told my brother-in-law, when you talk to that person for what the, the thing he did, I said, you, you need to tell him he can be redeemed, he can be restored, but he's got to repent, he's got to change, he's got to go another direction, and he needs to understand how serious it is that what he did happened, and he's got to deal with it. How many are following what I'm saying? Will you deal with that sin? You repent of that sin. You say, I'm not going to do that anymore. But those that practice, when you see the, the Bible saying in Galatians and Corinthians and different places, uh, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible says they are people who practice these things. It means that they, they do it habitually. And not only do they do it habitually, they don't stop. They're not convicted about it. They don't deal with it. They're not sorry for it. They just continue to do it. And they are being blinded by the devil and lied to by the devil. And it's caused them to be in great, great danger of hell. Amen. Amen. So we're dealing with things today, all of us, at different levels. And and we're being bombarded by sex. We're being bombarded by lust. We're being bombarded by by, uh, social media and, and, and government and movies and TV pushing an agenda. An agenda on us. If this is what we should believe, this is what we should accept. And so 
we need to understand that the Bible says something different. And I'm just going to read one part of 1 Timothy um, chapter, uh, where, where did I tell you? Thessalonians, sorry, chapter 4, because I don't have time to, to read the whole thing. But at 3, watch what he says. He says, this is the will of God. You ever said, God, what's, the, what's your will? Here's the will of God. Your sanctification. What is sanctification? There's another message. Don't have time to preach the whole thing. Sanctification is separation from the world. It's going in the opposite direction that you were going before you met Jesus. And watch what he says. Isn't this interesting? In verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. And look at all the things he could have mentioned. What did he mention there? That you should abstain from sexual immorality. I would, I would say there that this means something to God, very important, or he wouldn't have mentioned that there, that you would abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, carrying ourselves in a way that honors God, not in passion of lust, verse 5. Now watch this, like the Gentiles who do not know God. When we have Gentiles who do not know God come into this place, we need to treat them in love and and honor and, and help them and pray for them and give them time to learn the word and all these things. But the Bible is saying if someone among you is living in this sexual sin out of habit and these things, it's serious and you shouldn't even eat with them. And what's going on today is I have heard, church, I've heard of pastors having affairs in the church they pastor and then marrying the person they had the affair with and staying a pastor. I'm telling you, that happens. Or, Or something happens inside the church that is, that is a, 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 an affair or adultery or something like that or a sexual sin is found and that person just continues to do ministry. We don't take the word serious enough because I know he didn't say it just to say it. He says, this is serious. So you go to that person and Matthew 18 kind of deals with that and you deal with that person uh, individually. And you, but again, this is a person who knows the word. This isn't somebody who's struggling and trying to learn and trying to get a grip on the word. They're they're still on the milk. How many of us needed to get from from the milk to the meat? Some of us are still getting from the milk to the meat. We don't know it all. We don't understand it all. But do we take it serious? Let me read you this. Here's here's something we know is humongous today, and this goes across the board, whether whether it's heterosexual or homosexual or transgender or all gender or any gender, whatever it is, pornography is humongous. And I I was looking at some scientific things without going too much into this. This is important. But when pornography is viewed, things are going on in our minds that are very powerful. Hormones, I'm just going to read two, oxytocin and vasopressin are two hormones that are released that are by God. But they were given to us to release for a person, which is our spouse. Stay with me. Just for our spouse. Amen. God put that in us so that we would desire our spouse, but it was not for another person. It was not for someone on a phone or a TV. It was not for somebody in a movie. It was not for anybody else but the person God gave us 
to have that attraction to. And it says that, listen, this is important. When we watch pornography, and listen, some of you might not have ever seen it. I hope that's the case. But you, you are going to have some moment on Instagram or on Facebook where you're going to see something provocative and something's going to pop up or something's going to lead. You need to understand when you see those things, shout it out. Run. Thank you. That was a good shout. Run. Not run to it. Run away from it. So it says that when you act out what you watch, that sexual sin releases a powerful concoction in your body. And it begins to form a different wrong rewiring of the brain. Chris, if you'd get that video ready, I want you to show, I want you to, a minute and 30 seconds. Watch this real quick. What happens when pornography is watched? That's not it. Where's Joely? It's okay. That was that's a good one though. It's not your fault, Chris. You weren't here. Amen. Our hearts, some of our hearts might be beating like that. Amen. Boom, 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 boom. All right. Watch. And then we evolve over and over and over again. Back it up if you could. They're shame. I have people in my office that have affair after affair after affair. They cheat on their spouse over and over and over again, or they're involved in porn. They're shamed. Why are they ashamed? Because on some level, they're not at peace with what they're doing. It is a moral failing, and people know they're doing this moral failing. But when we make those types of decisions, it actually causes changes in the brain. It activates the fear circuitry of the brain. This is called the amygdala. And when the amygdala activates it and stays active chronically, it actually impairs the love circuits of the brain, anterior cingulate cortex. We become more self-oriented. So when somebody looks at porn for the first time, what happens is they'll get an excitement, but they'll also have the orbital cortex fire and tell them this is inappropriate, don't do this. And they'll have an apprehension or tension associated with it as well. If they chronically expose themselves to porn, this is very fascinating, there is actually a molecular change occurring on a genetic level in the orbital cortex of the brain where a protein that was not really expressed there before um, called delta Fos B actually alters the expression here and, and causes a desensitization. What this actually means then, if you want to use a biblical in inference here, is that their consciences are becoming seared the part of the brain that gives conviction of wrongdoing and redirects inappropriate behavior on a genetic and molecular level and structural level changes such that it stops responding. They get less and less conviction of guilt, less and less anxiety and stress at doing it, and pretty soon they become numb and there's no more guilt at all. People who've damaged their pleasure centers in this way will often be disinterested in their healthy relationships will often become apathetic, and they will seek out more either high-risk behaviors or drugs or other types of things like this to stimulate the, the pleasure center. Your conscience is seared, it says. Okay? The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. He's saying there scientifically and medically that when we watch those things that are not meant to watch and do those things that are not meant to do, we are searing our conscience. You ever thought, you ever thought how could somebody rape somebody? You ever thought about that? How could somebody do that? Their consciences were seared. 
they opened up a door somewhere in their life and they didn't deal with it. And then they liked it. And then they dealt with something else and they didn't deal with it. And it builds up and it builds up and it builds up. And then you get into, listen to me, don't shut me off. Then you get into where you're not any longer able to be stimulated in your brain. And so then you need to go on to other things. One of the big things that happens today in our society is people who are heterosexual watch pornography and they get to a place where they can no longer be excited and they begin to watch homosexuality. And then it goes on from there and there and there and there and it moves on and it doesn't stop because the devil's not playing games. So we need to understand that sexual sin is what? Serious. Serious business. Amen? Come on, give me an amen. It's serious. And, and I want to close with this thought. I want you to understand. I want to read this one thing first. It says, when you have a sexual experience, your brain makes opiates, which are four times stronger than morphine. That's God-given. He, he made that for us, but for one person. Okay, for one person. It's like anything in life. There are things that God gave us that we're not supposed to abuse. We abuse them. We take a gift and we abuse it. We take his grace and we abuse it. We take his plan and we abuse it. And that's, that's where we need to read the word and we need to sober up in our spirits and say, listen, I, I need to make sure that if I'm dealing with some of these things, I'm stopping. I need to make sure that if these things are tempting me, I'm stopping it right now. Because I'm telling you, you got to watch out because these sexual sins will take you further than you want to go. Amen. And many people today have lost their marriages. Many people today have lost relationships. Many people have lost things in their lives because they've opened up that door. Now, I'm going to make a statement that is very true as I close tonight. It's hard. There was something there that was important. It's hard to, to, to get over that temptation sometimes because it is God-given. A, a boy growing up, a girl growing up, gets to a certain age, and they have hormones. They begin to develop, and those things are there. And, and I, you know, I could ask God questions of why he gives them to us at certain ages and all those different things. But the bottom line is, if, if, if the churches would have done a better job of teaching what I'm teaching tonight, teenagers would have been a little more careful, and they'd have thought about it a little bit more, and they wouldn't have opened up the doors that they're opening up, and we wouldn't be where we are. But the church has been silent on it, and the church hasn't preached God's word. And the church hasn't said, this is what the Bible says. And sexual sin is serious. It would have saved people a lot of pain. But here's the thing I want you to understand. It's hard because it's a powerful attraction. And it's an attraction that God gave us. Okay? God gave it to us for one person. Y'all still here? for one person. And that person he gave us to to us for was for a person of the opposite sex. That's God's plan. I don't care what you say, what you feel. That's God's plan all the way from Genesis. Okay? Anything, say it again with me, anything outside of that is sin. According to God, not me. So it's hard. It's, 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 it's a powerful attraction. But here's, I want you to get this. Go to James chapter 1 real quick as, you're, as, you're, as we're finishing here. It's a, it's a powerful attraction. 
And that's a word I want you to write down. Kristen, give me five more minutes. If you, you, can, you can head over there if you want, sit, sit on the chairs or whatever, but give me five more minutes. It's a powerful attraction, okay? Write that word down, attraction. This is important, attraction, okay? Listen carefully. This might be maybe the most important part of the message. Attraction is not a sin. To be attracted to something is not a sin. Are you here? Attraction is temptation. So something can attract you. Something can draw you. Something can entice you. But you have not, listen, acted on it. Are you here? Attraction without action is temptation. I'm gonna have, I, want, I want everybody to write this down because this isn't just sexual sin, but this is big on sexual sin. Attraction without action is temptation. Okay, I'm going to wait till you get that written down. Attraction without action is temptation. Attraction with action is sin. Did everybody get that? I don't have time to go there tonight, but you know, and I know, we know the Bible enough in here to know that Jesus was tempted but did not sin. His, his temptation in the, in, 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 when he came into, out of the wilderness, was nothing, there was no temptation there sexually by the devil, but there was temptations for four different things. One of them was food. He was attracted to that food. You can't tell me after 40 days and 40 nights that Jesus wasn't hungry and that, that, that the idea of changing that stone into bread sounded real good. But he didn't eat it. Y'all here? So the attraction is not the sin. The attraction with the action is sin. And James chapter 1, verse 12 says this, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now watch this. This is important. Let no one say when he is tempted, and the other word would be for that, when he is attracted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But watch what happens when attraction becomes action. He says in verse 14, but each one is tempted or attracted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. See that there? So the attraction begins to be a what? Action. When my attraction becomes an action, when I begin to move towards that, I'll make it real simple for you tonight and make it clear for you tonight to make sure you guys understand this. Men, if you don't know this, are visually attracted. Women, just in case you didn't know that. A man sees a woman, and especially if she has revealing clothes on, and I'll just chase that rabbit for a second. A man is attracted by what he sees. So I can be walking down the road, or I can be in church, and I can see something 
that attracts my eyes. I'm not looking for it. But as someone who's not wearing a lot of clothes is revealing, a woman who's revealing cleavage, a woman who has tight clothes on, whatever, I'm attracted to that, not by choice. Then I have a chance right there to act on that attraction of my eyes and lust on her, or I have the opportunity to act on that attraction and turn my head away, which I've taught our men. Are you here still? I told you this was serious, important, and vital tonight. And so we need to make sure, just throwing this in there, ladies, that we are dressing in a way that's not attracting men's eyes to you. Because that's what men are. They're visual. And I'm not saying that for any person here, any person individual. I'm saying that generally because that's the way men are. Men shouldn't have to come to church and be tempted or attract, and you, oh, you bunch of perverts. That, that's how God made us. I can't tell you how God made us. And if you don't believe that, read the Bible. Because Jesus said it. Because a lot of men began to make the excuse and say, well, I, don't, I, I can look at a woman and it's not a sin. He said, if you look at the woman with lust in your eyes, you've, 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 you've committed the sin. So he knew how we were. Women are more by touch, sensual, more physical. And this is general. There are some people who are different, but I'm telling you general. And so there's a reason in the Bible why he said, for example, and I don't have time to go into this tonight, but he said in the Bible, y'all still here? He said in the Bible in 1 Timothy 2, read it later, he says that a woman needs to adorn herself in modest apparel. Notice he said women need to adorn themselves in modest apparel because it's very rare that a guy wears something that attracts a woman's eyes. Just telling, just, just generally telling you that. So it is a woman problem for the men. Okay? Y'all still here? So I'm saying that because we have to watch and make sure, and I just gave that simple example, that I'm, when I'm attracted to something, that I turn my head, that I, why does the Bible tell us to think on other things? Why does the Bible tell us to set our affection on things above? Because we need to make sure that we don't act upon the attraction. Okay, pornography, uh, touch, anything, uh, words. A lot of times affairs happen with women because they hear the things their man doesn't say to them. I knew I wasn't going to get a lot of amens. Right? A woman's not getting an affirmation from her husband, and so doesn't make it right, but she goes, and goes to work, and someone begins to tell her she's beautiful. Someone begins to give her stuff, flowers. Someone begins to do stuff that the man doesn't do, and she's attracted to that man, and then that's not the sin, but the sin is the what? Action, that she would, that she would act on that and have feelings for him and, and, and go further than, than just the temptation of, man, I like the way that th- sounded. Are y'all still here? So why I said all that is because he says here in James, verse 14, each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So we don't sin by attraction. We sin when we give birth to it. And then he says, sin, when it is full grown, Kristen, you can head up now, brings forth death. Death. Doesn't say pain. It says death. 
So if I don't deal with my attraction of sin, then it brings death. So this is so serious because of what God is telling us in here. First of all, that he says it's his will that we sanctify ourselves, that we abstain from sexual immorality, that we watch what we're watching, that we watch what we're saying, that we watch how we're acting so that we don't fall into these things. And then across the board, whatever you might be dealing with tonight, in any way that's sexual, you have to say, God, I need to line up my life, my thoughts, and my actions with your word. Not with what somebody tells me, because anything you want to do in this life, you can find somebody to justify it. You can find somebody to do it with you. But that doesn't make it right. And God says, I take this really, really serious. So serious, and you can read it later. I didn't have time to go into it. That he says, if you've got a brother or a sister in the church who's living in this and does not want to repent and change, don't even eat with them. Don't even eat with them. Don't fellowship with them. You go to them and you, and you, and you speak to them. And now listen, when you do that, you have to have... Uh, the right words you have to have the you, you have to do that in the right way the church the, uh, Matthew talks about how to do that and it has to be to somebody who's in the church that is a believer who's claiming to be a believer not just someone who's coming to church because then you cause them to go out and get mad and never hear the gospel we're here for a reason it'd be like somebody who comes in and gets gets, gets stitches gets healed they come to the hospital they got a bad cut they stitch them up and they say, listen, don't touch these stitches. Leave them alone. Let them heal. Don't take that bandage off. Clean it. Wash it. Da, da, da. They give you all these instructions. And you walk out the hospital, pull the bandage off, throw dirt on it, start messing with it, pull it apart. You're not listening to what that doctor told you to do. But there are people who need to be told how to change their life. But then there's also people who have been told over and over and over again. And listen, every time you read the Bible and read a verse, you become more accountable to it. So you won't have an excuse. I don't want anybody to tell, listen, I have married, I don't even know how many couples in this last 10 years because of this kind of preaching. Couples that were living together in sin. In sin. It is what it is. And the Bible says if you're living that lifestyle and you are living in it without repentance, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You won't. So we need preaching like this that says, man, I've got to deal with this or this sin is going to deal with me. Now here's the good news. Here's the good news. And I, give me one more second. i got to throw one more thing in. Okay? I had a lot of notes tonight, and I needed two or three messages for this. Maybe I'll preach it again and reiterate it. But God's got an answer in his word for everything. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 7, you can look at it later, that in a marriage between a husband and a wife, you're not supposed to abstain from each other. You're supposed to be with each other, and only by consent do you go on a fast or praying. I have heard stories over the years where someone says, we haven't been together for a month, 
whoever's causing that one month of no intimacy is in trouble because they're not obeying the Bible. Especially, uh, my guys will thank me for this after, especially the, guy, the, 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 the guys who, who are being tempted to go watch pornography because they're not being, being getting intimacy with their wife because she's saying no. That's a sin. says that in 1 Corinthians 7. I'm getting kind of real here tonight, aren't I? We could, we could keep some affairs from happening if we'd be a little more intimate with each other inside of marriage a little more frequently. Guys, that was a really, really good chance to say amen, but I, I, you didn't, you missed it. I'll say amen for me. Amen. And all the women say, oh, it's getting awkward in here. Here's the good news. You know the verse. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Is anybody thankful for that tonight? That we've made some mistakes, he can forgive us. Amen? I'm sorry, Lord. I know that's wrong. I know that's wrong. I'm dealing with this. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us, but here's the good news. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for nights when, when the message isn't always popular, isn't always exciting, but it's healthy. There's nobody in this place that doesn't deal with these things, with attraction, with temptation, with lust, with, with problems with the eyes, thoughts, relationships. But, Lord, there are things that are inappropriate. There are things that are wrong. And we don't have to be real smart tonight to understand that anything outside of the covenant between a man and a woman in marriage before you is a sin. And God, if we are doing any of those things tonight, we repent. We ask you to forgive us. We ask you to wash us clean because you can and you will and you want to. But God, if we continue to sin and we continue to do these things that are wrong and we know they're wrong, Father, then we are in serious trouble tonight. And I pray nobody in this place is in that place where they're so bound that they will not hear the truth. Lord, we have opened up doors possibly in our lives that have caused us to go places we didn't want to go, do things we didn't want to do, say things we didn't want to say. Lord, and we ask tonight for your mercy so that we can be a church that is not living like this, but living in sanctification and holiness and righteousness. Let's stand to our feet tonight all over this place with your heads bowed and eyes closed. And if you're here tonight and you are not saved, we'll leave that message on just for a little bit longer if it's still recording so that anybody that might listen to this online, this is a very important message. They might be able to say, you know what, I'm dealing with some sexual sin tonight. I, in any of these areas, again, well, what about this? What about that? Anything, I can't be clear enough, anything outside of the covenant of marriage is sin.
And so tonight that person can say, Lord, I want to deal with this. I want to I want to get right on this. And so maybe there's someone listening online. Maybe you're here tonight. I want us to all say this prayer together because I want them to be able to be saved tonight online if they're listening tomorrow or next week to this message because hopefully this, this, uh, this title will attract them to come listen to it. Father, tonight we ask you, and I'm going to ask you to repeat after me, Lord Jesus, tonight I run to your feet of mercy. Lord, if I have committed any sexual sin, if I have committed any sin that would separate me from you, I ask you to forgive me. I know that I am a sinner and the wages of my sin are death. But Jesus, you died on the cross and shed your precious blood so that you could purchase me so that I would not be my own but I would belong to you. And Jesus, I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. And when you died on that cross, you paid the penalty for my sins. All of my sins. Anything and everything I've ever done. And I ask you to forgive me for those tonight. Because you also rose from the dead and conquered death. And tonight I believe that you did that for me and for my salvation. Forgive me and wash me clean and write my name in the Lamb's book of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big praise tonight for the power of salvation tonight. Amen. As we begin to sing a song, all kinds of things we need to deal with, all kinds of things God wants to work on us with, let's just take some time and spend some time at the altar tonight. And, and just because you come forward doesn't mean you have this problem. It, it could be anything. Amen. We need to seek the presence of God tonight. Amen. We need to get in his, in his, in his presence and ask him to deal with us on these things tonight.